Well, hallelujah. You excited about what God's doing? Come on, are you excited about what God's doing? I know that uh, I need to get my iPad to work correctly. There you go. Sometimes it, the screen doesn't want to turn. You know, I'll tell you really quickly, um, you didn't know this about me and Sandy, but, but back pre-New Horizon days, we led the equivalent of Nitro in a church we were in in Salt Lake City. And out of that was birthed a character called Jozo the Clown. And Sandy did a great job with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I actually had somebody call me when we were there, and they said, hey, do you do that for birthday parties? I was like, you do not want to hire this guy for a birthday party. Your kids will be scared to death. But, uh, anyway, anyone can do it if I could do it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just pray over the word this morning. Father, we just declare that this morning our ears are open to hear your word. And God, we declare this morning that we are going to set aside all of our preconceived ideas, the, the thoughts that have held us back, the things that have captured our minds, the things that have distracted us. And Father, we declare today that your restoration is coming, that today, God, is a new day for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, you know, Dr. Craig, he, he shared on, on a lot of subjects, a couple of them I don't want to touch, but um, tithing, following God's plan for your life, being thankful when others succeed. And, and today I want to build on that and, and help us to understand that what God intends for us in the financial realm. See, it's not just financials. It's not just the financial realm. It's, it's your entire life. God wants us to succeed as people, period. In the story, if it were just like financial or just this or just that, there's a lot of stuff that would be left out. And in order to be successful people, we need to be well-rounded. We need to have the Holy Spirit working in every area of our lives. I'm, I'm just dumb enough to believe or smart enough to believe that God really does care about everything that I do. I've believed that from when I was a kid, and, and when I really got a hold of that, it changed my world. See, because a lot of times we think, well, God doesn't care about that area, or he doesn't care about this area. No, actually, he does, and he wants you to be a follower of him, and he wants to fill us with so much that we're just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, John in 3 John 1, 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Just as your soul prospers. We learn in restored life, we learn this. We learn that the soul contains your mind, your will, your emotions, your reasoning, and your imagination. Your soul contains your personality and your memory, and it is the connection between your spirit realm and the natural realm. So if you have a healthy soul, you're going to have a healthy natural life as well. It can't help but overflow. And, and a person that has an unhealthy soul is not going to have necessarily a naturally healthy life. We want to see people healed, set free, believing for God's best in their lives, walking around with a smile on their face, happy to be Christians, happy to be living for Jesus, happy to be touching people. That's what we want. More than anything, more than anything, that's what we want. 
Before we could ever teach you about finances, we've got to get our souls healthy. See, I, a lot of you come in here, and we might come in with a misunderstanding of what wealth builders is because we talk about you know, finances. That's where our brains already always go. But the truth is, if I am wealthy in my health, if I'm wealthy in my attitude, if I'm wealthy in my soul, if I'm wealthy in my spirit realm, finances are almost insignificant because now I've got, I've got my life moving a good direction. I can actually touch people's lives. Amen? And so we need to get our spiritual alignment correct with Father's plans for our lives. If we succeed first financially, I'll tell you this, if we succeed first financially, then we will probably not have a kingdom perspective of where our blessings come from. I'm grateful that I didn't succeed financially until God had me aligned in some certain areas in my life. I'm telling you. And I grew up as a preacher's, preacher's kid. But having that perspective makes all the difference in the world. As Christians, it's, it's really important that we get this right. Even if we succeed financially, we will probably fail when it comes to acknowledging where our wealth comes from, who our blessings are from, and lack of proper attitude when it comes to giving. If we don't recognize these things, you know, before we succeed, then we probably won't afterwards. And we'll, we'll be deceived into believing that it was us that made us. I am the first to tell you, God did not, I, I did not make myself. I wasn't a self-made man. God said, you know what, I'm going to put a blessing on you. And if you do some things, you're going to succeed. And if I had not done some things, guess what? I would not have succeeded. Simple as that. And I'll tell you this, another thing, and this is just the introduction. We're going to get into some deep stuff here in a minute. But I will tell you this, I, I firmly believe that if you don't tithe early on, don't fool yourself into thinking that someday you're going to change. When we have enough money. Really? You know? As the checks got bigger, believe me, it was much, it was actually, I just found it to be really cool to tithe. I like it when I see success being re- realized into the offering plate at the house of God. This morning before we came up, you know, Sandy's pulling out the tithe check. And, and now, you know, it's really, it's fun. And I'm not saying this to be bragging, but I'm telling you, we tithe more than we used to make. That's, that's cool. I want that. I want, my, I want the biggest check I write every month to be the house of God's check. I don't, want, I don't want my mortgage payment to be the biggest expense I have. I want it to be my tithe check. I want it to be seeing the house of God flourishing. I want it to be seeing the people of God blessed. I want it to be seeing this place exploding with excitement of people living for Jesus. Amen? So I want, to, I want to just encourage you that having a healthy soul is absolutely crucial before we can even begin learning the, the concepts that we teach in Wealth Builders. So this morning, let's talk about, you know, what is it that's holding us back in our finances, just in life in general? I think that a lot of times, 
you know, finances is something we can focus on because it's so, uh, you know, we can just see it. Everyone can see it. But there's a lot of other areas in our lives that we're held back to, relationships and jobs and, and you know, finances are a part of it, but your marriage, your kids, the way you relate to your friends, the way that, that you just in general are a person. If your soul is unhealthy, you're going to have some unhealthy relationships. And I want to talk, tell you something, you know, when we think about what's been holding us back, you know, maybe it's, it's something you just keep coming up against. And no matter how hard you try, you just cannot seem to break through. How many of you have been there? How many of you are there now being honest with each other this morning? Just can't, we just keep hitting that wall. There's a ceiling we cannot seem to get past. And, you know, maybe you went through a divorce. You know, maybe you lost your business. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you were irresponsible with credit. Mm, been there. Okay, any of you been there? Come on. Maybe you grew up in the wrong family. Hmm, been there. You know, maybe you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, been there. In fact, our town was so poor we didn't have tracks. Okay, the railroad didn't go through. It avoided us, you know. Or maybe you didn't get the breaks that you thought you deserved. You know, but here's what I've got for us this morning. If you've become hopeless, feeling like you're never going to make it, we have got some good news for you today. Come on, if you've become hopeless, we've got some good news for you today. Come on, God doesn't want you to live the kind of life you've been living. He wants to change your financial struggles into the peace of mind and the comfort knowing that he's in control and he cares for us. So what am I worrying about? Amen? Come on. This morning I want to take us on a journey today that that takes us to a new level of hope and a peace, a new level of overcoming our past, our family's past, our failures, our fears, our struggles. Imagine what it would be like if you never struggled with the things you struggle with today again. Imagine that. What kind of life could you live if you could put those things behind you? Come on. I want us to look at at what God wants to restore. And I think this is a key to our success financially. It's a key to your success in your marriage. It's a key to your success in your relationships. Whatever it is, this is a key restoration. It is that God wants to restore hope to his people. In Ruth 1.1, the Bible says this. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and their two sons. So this is a story of hope. This is a story of God's restoration. And this morning I want to take us through this and and intertwine it into the message because I want us to get something, some things here that, that maybe we've missed over time or that I believe God has just got for us today. It talks about that they left a land that was in famine to go somewhere else. And then it says, it goes on to talk about Elimelech, who is Naomi's husband, and it says that he was killed. He dies. Now, he might have died from the famine. We don't know, but he died. He's killed. He's dead. 
And now Naomi is there with her two sons. And her sons are named Malon and Chilion. Now, I really like the name Chilion. I'm thinking, that is like a Tommy Bahama cool name. Like, what's your name, Chilion? What do you do? I'm just chilling on the beach. Doesn't that make sense? Marketing 101. You guys can steal that all you want. Amen. But the Bible says this. It says that, that after their father dies, they take wives. Orpah and Ruth. And now 10 years goes by and the two sons die as well. And so now you have Ruth, you have Naomi. Naomi's the mother-in-law and Ruth and Orpah. And they're left without husbands. And can you imagine the disappointment? The all of the disses that you can, you know, disbelief, disappointment, sadness. And yet, in the midst of this, something's about to happen. In the midst of this, and this is what I love about God. See, when you're really serving Jesus and all these bad things begin to happen, something happens. And the Bible says this in Ruth 1, 6, it says, Then she arose. <laughs> Come on, when you're going through some stuff, you've got to remember to arise. You've got to remember to rise up and say, you know what? I'm not going to live below the circumstances. I'm going to live above them. Come on, and she, it says, she arose with her daughter, daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, now she heard it while she was in Moab, that the Lord had visited his people back in Judah, And he was giving them bread. And verse 22 says, Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let me tell you something. When you're at your lowest point, it might be that you're at your very beginning of your harvest. Your harvest has just arrived. And we've got to recognize it. We've got to see it. We've got to say, you know what? At my lowest of my lows, God's got a harvest right there. There's a field of barley growing up that I'm going to take harvest right now. Come on, then the Bible says this. Come on, it, 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 I want you to catch something. That first of all, she had a word from God. And she had a glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope drove them back to Judah. And then when they go out and they start out, she turns to her daughter-in-laws and she says, Look, you two ladies, you're young. I want you to go back home to your mom and dad. And I want you to find husbands. And I want you to have a good life. And Orpah, she, she leaves and goes. But Ruth, if you've never read it, just go in and read what she said to Naomi. It's very powerful. Because she said, you know, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Whatever you do, I will do. I'm going to make sure that I'm hanging on to you because I see something. There's a glimmer of hope in your eyes, Naomi. There's a glimmer of hope that I need. And so they go and they... They go to Bethlehem, and they come there, and, and they meet Boaz. But before that, you know, Ruth is out every day, and she's picking up the leftovers in the fields. Remember, it was harvest time. And she was out harvesting the leftovers. What they left behind, she would pick up. And she would take that and take care of her mother-in-law. And they were, 
living together, and she was working hard to take care of her mother-in-law. And her husband had just died, and she's trying to take care of her mother-in-law and living through the pain and the suffering of abandonment, the pain and the suffering of loneliness, the pain and the suffering of wondering what would it have been like if we had been able to keep him alive and we had stayed back in Moab. How would our lives be different But she, instead, she's focusing on Naomi. She's saying, I'm going to take care of you. I want to make sure we're, we're good, that you're, you're taken care of. And so the story goes on, and in, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, it says, this is, Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter. Come on, there's something about to happen here. And don't forget, he says, do not glean from another field, nor go from here, but stay close to, to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He was protecting her. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down on the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Come on, I've been through that at times in my life with people and wondered, Why have I found favor in your sight? was God Almighty touching them who then touched me. It goes on and says, and Boaz answered her and it says, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before, the Lord will repay your work and a full reward will be given by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Come on, Boaz was prophesying over her that there's hope in your future. There's a hope in our future that comes from knowing and serving and believing God and looking out after the harvest that he's given to us. It's another step in God restoring hope for both Ruth and Naomi. Later on, the... They get married, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want us to catch this, that God has something exciting for our lives. Amen? One of the things that God wants to restore, and I think that this is just crucial, is he wants to restore our hope. Without hope, our lives are difficult at best. There was a recent study that was done that, that said hopelessness was the most cardiotoxic symptom of people who suffer with depression. See, hopelessness is a heart disease, and it will literally kill you. Hopelessness is what causes somebody to stand in a hotel room and kill 58 people. Hopelessness is the type of thing that that says to, to someone that they should go take another's life or take their own life. See, that's what hopelessness does. Hopelessness says there's no hope for our marriage. There's no hope for our children. There's no hope for my career. There's no, there's no hope for me, so I may as well end it all. That's what hopelessness does. And the enemy wants you to believe that if you're hopeless, there is no future. It's irrelevant what happens. And so people begin to act out on the hopeless feelings. But I'm here to tell you today, there's a God of peace. There's a God of hope. There's a God that wants to to see you lifted up and beyond your hopelessness, set you in a place that you never dreamed you could ever be set before. 
In the book, The Three Battlegrounds, it says this, that every area of our life not glistening with hope means we are believing a lie and that that area of our life is a stronghold of the enemy. Oh, wow. Yeah, let me, every area of our life not glistening with hope means we are believing a lie and that that area of our life is a stronghold of the enemy. God wants to fill you with so much hope that there's absolutely no room for anything else in your lives. I'm telling you. Romans 15, verses 10 through 13 says this. says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says this. says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's overflow with hope. Let's, let's, let's say, God of Israel, come on, fill me with so much hope, God. Fill me with so much hope that I cannot see the negative in this world, God. That I can't see the things that are falling apart around me. I just declare your peace. I declare your hope in every situation. Come on, that's what God wants for us today. So I want you to catch something. Back as the story of Ruth unfolds, we learn that Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. They have a son named Obed. Guess what? His son was Jesse. Wow, we just read about him. Guess what? Jesse's son was David. And guess who Jesus came through? David. Come on, there's a thread here that God said, you know what? Even in the lineage of Jesus, I've got to restore some hope. Come on. So if that family needed some restoration of hope, how about us? Come on. Hope is the confident, joyful expectation that good is coming. See, a lot of times I get accused of being too hopeful that everything's going to work out because I... I generally am pretty optimistic because I just believe things are going to work out. It's all good. We're going to be fine. We'll get through it, you know. And for there to be a breakthrough and a change, see, you've got to have hope. If you don't have hope, if you believe your confession is that nothing ever works out for you, guess what? Nothing ever will work out for you. If your expectation is that things are just going to go poorly for me because I don't believe for much, maybe, you know, I won't be disappointed. Well, you know what? Come on, that's not what God says. He says, have some hope. He's called you to be a success. I want us to catch this, that somebody's got to have hope. Our level of hope will determine our influence. And remember this, there are no hopeless circumstances, just hopeless people. And when, when people begin to get hope, circumstances have to change. When you begin to walk out a biblical perspective of hope, and the Holy Spirit has filled you with so much hope that you're just believing for everything to go well, guess what? Your circumstances are going to begin to change. Come on. Amen? There was a period of time that that when Sandy and I would do our bills, this this goes way back, even I think pre-New Horizon days probably, but we would go over our finances and and I just, it didn't matter how well or how poorly it was going. I had this funky attitude, and I was kind of hopeless. 
I was like, you know what? We never have enough. It's never enough. Doesn't matter. If I get a raise, it's just never enough. Can't raise those kids on never, you know. Ever tried to raise your children on never enough? You know? And and then, you know, and so that went on for, I don't know, a while. Probably longer than she longer than she wants to remember and longer than I care to admit. So but then one day, you know, God began to speak to me and he says, You know what? I'm Jehovah Jireh. Not you know, I'm I'm the God that provides. And I've raised you up to be something special, and you need to knock this off because you're causing great division in your family, and your your wife doesn't like you at these times. I'm like, well, that's probably a good reason to change right there. I like to be liked, you know. And see, but when I grew up, that's what I grew up in, was there was never enough. At our house, God was the God of never enough. It's just the way it was. And it wasn't said, but it was lived. How many of you know that what you say and what you live can be a different testimony? And, and so hopelessness filled me when it came to my finances because I just assumed it was never going to work out. If that's you this morning, i got some good news for you. You can change. Amen? And see, a lot of us, you know, what we see in people, oftentimes you see them 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and who you see and what you see is not who they were or what they were. So, like, for me, when you see me, you don't see the uncertain kid, the, the guy that grew up in the trailer park, the guy that was in the free lunch line because we didn't have enough money to buy lunches. And you, didn't, you don't see that. You wouldn't think that. And when you see Sandy, you, you don't see a baby born out of wedlock to a teenage mother that sometimes lived homeless and, and moving from town to town and wondering where they were going to eat and wondering where they were going to sleep. And you don't see that. But that's who we were. And then there was hope. <laughs> Come on, and then there was hope. And, and as a 17-year-old, you know, I worked cleaning carpets and my job was to go out and I clean carpets for a living. And one day I was riding along with my boss, and a guy looks at me and says, you know, I really hope you don't forget me. And I thought, well, that's weird. But I'm just like 17. He's like, I don't know how old he was. It doesn't matter. But, but I'm, I'm thinking, why wouldn't, you know, first of all, I was pretty forgetful in the sense that no one would remember me. And he looks at me and he says, I hope you don't forget me. And I thought, I said to him, I said, well, why is that? And he said, because... I can already tell you are going to be successful. And he was like, and I was like, well, why do you say that? And he said, because you, you know how to talk to people. You've got the gift of, of gab, as he put it. <laughs> and I've never forgot that because I took it as a prophetic word at the time. And, and see, here's, here's the thing that we need to recognize is that in Luke 6.38, it says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, I could go like 10 different directions with this scripture. But I want us to understand something. When you're a giver, God's going to make sure that men give back into your bosom whether it's through words of knowledge, whether it's finances, whether it's opportunities, whether it's gift, whatever it is, God's going to make sure that you're rewarded. 
There was a time that Sandy and I, we first were managing our first apartment complex. This goes back to what Pastor said earlier. You get to your own stories later if you live long enough. But we were managing this apartment complex in Tacoma, and it was our first one. I was 19, she was 17, and somebody hired us to manage a 136-unit property. Now, they're either stupid or they got the word of knowledge. This guy was a Christian, and I believe he had a word of knowledge. And, and so we're managing this place, and life is going along fairly well. And one of our residents happened to be the general manager of, the, of South Tacoma Motor Company. At that time, it had a Honda dealership and a Nissan and a couple other things down in South Tacoma Way, about 56th or so. And this guy walks in one day, and he says, hey, can I talk to you guys? And we're like, yeah, sure, yeah, what's up? And we're thinking, oh, no, move out, no, this is coming, you know. Kind of your mind goes to that kind of thing when you do property management. But he says, no, I want to talk to you guys about your car. I'm like, well, there's a lot to talk about. It's a 1976 Pontiac Ventura with a wrecked fender. And the transmission, every about three or four miles, tends to lock up, and I have to beat it with a ball-peen hammer, and it doesn't have a key in the ignition because it broke, and I found it was just easier to take the thing apart and have a start, just start the car with the starter bar. And I was praying someone would just steal the dumb thing. But that never happened. Thieves apparently are smarter than that. So the guy says to us, he says, I can see you need a new car. <laughs> Genius. And he says, I, gotta, I want you to come down and talk to my, to my sales manager down at the dealership. I was like, okay, whatever, fine. We'll go look. And we're thinking, we don't have any money. We have, like, like we're, like, making, I think at the time, like, I don't remember. I mean, when I first took that job, I got paid $300 a month in my apartment, full-time. And I thought I'd hit the lottery, okay? Just saying. Okay, I did. I hit two numbers out of 10 or whatever. So so anyway, we go down and we talk to these guys, and and we find this car, and it was totally cool. And it was, you'd laugh if I told you what it was. I, I guess I can tell you. I don't have a lot of time left. But it was a 1979 Ford Granada. And see, I told you you'd laugh. And it was it was kind of cool. It was really the, one of the prettiest blues I've ever seen. In fact, it was very similar to the blue we had in Sandy's car a few years ago. This Mercedes that she owned for a while. But this car was it had been made for a woman who was very wealthy that lived out in Gig Harbor. Now, why she bought a Granada, I have no idea. But she did so. You know, maybe she was related to Ford or something. I, I don't know. But regardless, that's what she had. And this car had very few miles on it. And these guys sold it to us. And then, and then unbeknownst to us was the guy had told the sales guy, said, listen, you're going to sell it to them for this price, and you're going to give them this much for the car they're driving. And it was like that he gave us, like, I don't even, I don't even it doesn't even matter what he gave us. He gave us anything over, like, two cents was more than that car was worth. And so, you know, but here's the deal. And this is what's important. This man gave in to Sandy and I, not having any idea why. But I'm going back to the scripture and say that men will give in to your bosom. Faithful people, Christian people who are faithful to God, men are going to give in to you. There came a day the Lord spoke to me and he said this. He said, the battle of limitation is over. The faith to overcome is yours. The decision to pursue God and his plans for my life became so important to me that I did not care what people thought any longer. 
Your financial breakthrough is tied to your hope. And God is calling you this morning to have a new level of hope. Have something restored in you this morning called hope. When you leave here today, if you leave with nothing else, I want you to leave here with a restored sense that God is for you and not against you. and He's got a breakthrough coming in your life. Amen? Come on, it's time to trade our lack for his provision. It's time to trade our depression for his ascension. It's time to trade our, the hatred we have for his love. It's time to trade the limitations for his unlimited glory. Come on. That's what time it is. The clock on the wall says, wake up, people. Arise, for there's a famine in the land, but I've called you to your harvest in a different place. Come on. He is the God of hope. He's the foundation of joy and of peace. It's not Christmas, but I want to read this really quickly. I've got to get to my last couple of points here. But, but I want to read this in Luke 10. It says, behold to you, the angel came, and she says, Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For who? All people. This angel was saying, I'm going to tell you about something that's about to happen. I'm going to tell you that there's an event that's coming that's going to bring joy to the entire world. One of the main purposes of Jesus coming was to restore joy into the world. Having joy is critical to what we do. Third John says, says this, Jesus said this, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He has no greater joy than to know that we're walking in the truth. See, the truth is good news. Here's the truth about you. Prosperity is yours. Health is yours. Success is yours. Salvation is yours. Joy is yours. Hope is yours. Love is yours. Forgiveness is yours. Everything that you need is yours through the God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Come on. Romans 5, 2 says this. says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Joy is that feeling in your heart that is, that is based on this. It says, good things are going to happen to me. I can't be sad because good things are about to happen to me. Come on. One of the things that we love to teach in Wealth Builders is that God wants to restore you. And the first thing that we love to do, I love this. And I, I learned this, you know, it was really kind of learning this. I went through, you know, back when we called it Recover Life. Now we call it Restored Life. But back in the early days of being here, we went through Recover Life and and, and, and I remember one day thinking about wealth builders, and God just said to me, he says, you know, the principles of recover life, I, I want you to bring those into wealth builders. I was like, man, that is a good idea, God. And so we began to, to bring this idea into wealth builders. And, and you have to understand this, that, you know, your family makes up your lineage spiritually, and they make up your spiritual inheritance. How many of you got some things in your family in the past that are affecting you today? And so when it comes to what they did, those are doorways to influence your life. And I would say this, that, that if you did the little exercise with us where we have you write down, like on a piece of paper, it's real simple, just write down your, your you know, if you want to do it, 
biblically, you'd go back four generations. So you'd go, you know, great-grandpa, grandpa, mom and dad, and probably great-great-grandpa, I guess, right? And you would write down what we would have you do for those that, if you know all of this stuff, and if you don't, try and figure it out. It's always good to know your family's history. Is write down, just write down one-word descriptions of how your family handled money. So when you do that, oftentimes what we see revealed is that, wow, and that piece of paper represents how they handled money, and guess what? It represents how I handle money. Good with credit, bad with credit, poor, whatever it was, all of the different things. I remember growing up, you know, my dad, he, he had an attitude about people with money that wasn't positive. So guess what? When, as I grew up, I had an attitude about people with money that wasn't positive. And Sandy had a similar experience. We had to break that off because, like, you can't have a bad attitude about yourself. Just saying. Okay? So here's what the Bible says. It says this in Exodus 20, chapter 4. It says, don't make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or beneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them. See, anything can become an idol. And I'm just taking a second here on this. But I want us to understand something. Because um, one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted scriptures is in 1 Timothy 6. And it says that the root of all evil is money. And that's the piece that people like to pluck out of the Bible and go, the root of all evil is money. Really? Well, actually, that's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So the minute I begin to love money more than I love God, it's evil. Until then, it's just something God uses to bless the kingdom, to make the kingdom grow. It's something God uses to to bless people with. And if it really were about, you know, the root of all evil being money, then why are we all getting up, going to work every day, trying to make a living? Just saying, okay? But a family's financial history, I'll get back to that, whether rich or poor, has a great influence on you and on your life. And what I want to encourage us to this morning is that, remember, nothing in the kingdom can be overcome without declarations. So if you've got some things in your family's past that are holding you back, this morning I've got good news for you. Hope's about to be restored. Come on, word curses that said you'll never amount to anything. Word curses that said, you know, things never work out for you. Word curses that said, you know, that's just not for you. God's going to reverse some things this morning. I believe that, that we are a people. This house, I believe, is called. This is one of our key the key pieces to our DNA is getting people free, getting people established in hope, getting people established in peace, getting people established in their destiny. When we came to the church, we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of hope, but we had a whole lot of we'll do whatever it takes. And we had, you know, we had some hope in the sense that God had promised us some things, and we were still hanging into those because they hadn't worked out up to then. You know, we had tried to be part-time ministry people. We had tried to be just sit in the back of the church and hang out people. We had tried all kinds of different things, but we weren't satisfied until God said, I want you to adjoin yourself to this man and to this woman, and I've got something established for you. I've got, I've got something. I'm going to fill you with so much hope that you're going to forget. The years are going to fly by so fast, you won't even remember how long you've been with them. That's a pretty good, I like that. I like that a lot. 
You know, I enjoy knowing that, you know, today, you know, in January will be, I think it's January, whatever the first Sunday, I always look at that as our anniversary Sunday, and it's 22 years this year coming up. That's pretty cool, you know? And I, I love that. I, I love that. But I'm telling you this morning, there is hope for you. There's an establishment this morning. God wants us to, to come to the place that we're so in love with him. We're so overwhelmed by his care and by everything that, that we're just filled with hope. And he wants to release some things off. If I can go and get the band to come and let's just begin to, to, I want you this morning, just as you're sitting here, just think, God, what is it that's in my past? What is it that's in my family's past? What is it that, that I say? What is it that the, the things I'm passing on to my children or to my grandchildren that you want, me to, you want to break off of our families this morning? How many of you this morning would like to leave here changed forever, having left some things at the altar where God can say, you know what, I'm going to restore hope to your family, not only to you, but to your family. See, I believe this, that my kids don't have to walk through the things I had to walk through because we broke off the generational curses of poverty and of divorce and of all the things that held our families back. They were broken off. So our kids, they're walking in freedom. And I'm telling you, you can run a lot further in freedom than you ever can with chains bonding you up. So this morning, I want to encourage you that as we, as we close out this morning, if that's spoken to you this morning, if that resonates with you, and you say, you know what, God, I've got to break some things off my family, and I don't want to leave this place until you've made those changes, get down here this morning and let God just begin to work on you in the spiritual realm. Come on, stand with me this morning. And I, I just believe that, that God has set us in this place for a purpose. I believe that today God wants to reestablish hope and and joy and love and peace into our lives. I believe that, that God wants to break off of you the chains that have held you back, the chains that have held your family back. I believe that the generational curses that were spoken over your life, whether they came from your grandparents, your great grandparents, your mom, your dad, your uncles, it doesn't, doesn't matter. God's here this morning to tell you, you're my child, and I have a greater plan for your life. Not just financially, but I've got a greater plan for your life. We want you to prosper in more ways than just in your, in your wealth. We want to see you prosper in your relationships. We want to see you prosper in your relationship with God. We want to see you prosper in your relationship with yourself, what you believe about who you are. That when you walk around, you can believe firmly, I am a king's kid. I am somebody special. I am out of the root of Jesse. I am out of the Abrahamic covenant. I am walking in the power of Jesus. I am a king's kid. Come on. Come on, I believe that this morning. And if that's you, as we sing and as we play this morning, come on down. We'll have prayer partners here to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to pray on your own. But believe me, this morning you can make a difference in your family and in your life and in the lives of those around you for generations to come. Amen. Do you believe it this morning? Come on. Let's worship together in Jesus' name. You were-